Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Thank you for, thank you for coming to tonight's uh, service, sermon. It's the last teen sermon for the week. For some of you, maybe that comes as a big relief or no? No, that's what I want to hear. Who paid you to say that? Hopefully nobody. You guys did a really good job tonight at the choir. You guys did a great job. Praise the Lord. It was amazing. The solos were amazing. Jacob, you did amazing. And who were the other two that did the last song? Caleb, Caleb what's your last name? Taba. Who's, who's your? Eric Stephanie. Praise the Lord. It's, it's, and Kennedy Lamp? Where's Kennedy? Kennedy, good job. Oh. Guys, okay, 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 good, good, good. What were we taught as kids? All glory to who? God. To God. But you guys did a good job, so praise the Lord for that. Um, thank you for your time. I'd like to get into God's Word tonight. I want to have a serious demeanor. Every time we open up God's Word in the Old Testament, when, they, when, the, when the children of Israel opened up God's Word in the synagogue, they would stand up. It was a reverential thing. So let's, let's take this seriously for the next 35 minutes or so, and uh, let's bow our hearts in prayer before we look into God's Word. Heavenly Father, we just want to pause to thank you for this wonderful week that you blessed us with thus far. Thank you for the wonderful program that we heard this evening. We pray, Lord, that these words that were sung from the bottom of these young teenagers' hearts that would have resound and redound to your glory, Lord. We pray, Father God, that they would not be just empty words that just sound nice to our ears, but more importantly, that the words that they sing that those ink on the pages would penetrate deep in their hearts, Lord, and that they would really believe that which they have sung, Father God, and not just, again, sing it as a performance. Father, we just pray now as we look into your word that you inspire our hearts, inspire my heart, Lord, as we delve into scripture. We pray, Lord, that you would lead this evening's discussion. We pray, Lord, that you would minister to the needs of every teenager here, Father Lord, perhaps maybe some are sitting here that don't want to be here. Maybe for them it's just a checklist. For them it's just something that is routine, something that is mandatory, something that their parents told them they must attend, Father God. There may be some here that have a strong yearning and desire to follow you, to serve you better, Lord. We pray, Lord, that as we look into your word, that we would better understand what does it mean to follow you and commit our lives to you. Father God, many are struggling perhaps with different struggles and sins and temptations and addictions and depression and mental health, Lord. You know all the needs. Those that are silently suffering here in our midst, Lord, though they put a smiley face day in, day out, Father God, you see their heart as exposed and transparent before you. And so we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be in our midst as you promise it will be, Father, because you're in the midst of us, because... We are believers, those of us who profess Christ and your Holy Spirit is indwelt in our hearts. So again, minister to our needs. We give you praise, honor, and thanks. Convict, convert, convict and convert sinners to saints and do only that which you can do, Father God. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So like I said, I have about 35 minutes with you guys or so, give or take. I am Serbian, so I'm a little bit off with time. It might turn into an hour, but I got my brother-in-law here who's going to give me the thumbs up or down. 
But in the 35 minutes or so that we have, I really want us to take the Word of God seriously. I have some thoughts I'd like to share with all of you. I want you all to pay attention as much as you can. I know, statistically speaking, perhaps maybe 30, 40, 50% of you struggle with attention. And especially now, towards the latter part of the week, you guys are exhausted. Some late nights, early mornings, programs, uh, practices, you know, the free time, heavy weightlifting perhaps, basketball, soccer, all the activities and everything in between. So you guys are exhausted. So maybe some of you are like, you know what, we just want to be entertained tonight. Maybe some of you guys just want to feel like, we just want to laugh, we want to have a good time. Just entertain us a little bit. And I pray that God would give you guys the strength tonight, as I prayed that God would give me the strength tonight, because I'm also tired. i got two small kids. It's also not easy. It's exhausting for all of us. And it's also not easy, especially not easy, to deliver a message to perhaps an audience that ranges from 13 to 19 years old in 2021, those that snuck in. But in all seriousness, it's sometimes difficult to retain our attention. But I think the Word of God is powerful. I think it's sharp. I think it can penetrate our hearts. And I think if we're interested enough and we have a hunger for God, I believe that He will open up our hearts and give us an interest to hear what His Word has to say. As a way of introduction to my message, I, wanna, I want you guys to think that, have this thought. And, and actually, before I even do that, I didn't even introduce who I am. I'm Ronnie Delick from Richmond Hill, Ontario. For those of you who don't know me, um, I got that out of the way now. If you guys have your cell phones on, I want to mention this in the beginning. If you guys have your cell phones, please, I know it was mentioned many times, can you guys please, out of respect and courtesy, if you guys can just please shut your phones off or keep it on silent. Maybe some of you use your phones for your Bibles, and in that case, use it for your Bibles. I mean, I would always encourage you guys, you know, at your age, at young age, I'd, always, I'd hope you have your own Bibles that you bring to these classes and to the sermons that you flip through the pages. There's something about rustling through the pages and hearing that noise. If you don't have one, grab one. Or buy one. But if, you want to, if, you, if you're going to use your phone, please use it for the purpose of following Scripture. Can you guys respect that? Yeah? I really appreciate that. Again, as a way of introduction, I, I heard this story many years ago. And I reminded myself of this story. And I want to tell you the importance and the significance of trying to keep your guys' attention. And see, you know, why is it that maybe here in the West, here in North America, why is it so difficult to be interested in the gospel? Why is it that sometimes we take events like this for granted uh, or, or whatever, church for granted, that we're just like, you know what, I don't feel like doing this. I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like going to a Bible class. I don't feel like, you know, and we're just constantly resisting um, things that pertain to godliness. And I think it's because of the West, because of the environment perhaps that we live in. We've become very spoiled. We're so entitled. Would you guys agree with that? We've become so entitled, so spoiled. We have everything at our fingertips. For us, this sermon is just another evening. For us, this choir was just another thing. Check off, again, like I mentioned earlier. And by contrast, I want to share this story that I heard again many years ago, and I'm going to paraphrase it, but I hope you guys can get the main thrust of the story. There was a missionary that went to China. And he, the purpose for his visit in China was to teach the Chinese Christians who converted the Bible. Because as you all know, in different parts of the world, newsflash, they cannot preach the gospel. Not, you can't own a Bible. You cannot buy a Bible. And so everything is underground. Everything is secret. 
As a matter of fact, they speak code language. You know, and some of the phrases, some of the ways they do this is if they, they, how they identify another Christian is they would quote a verse, and if you can finish it off, you're perhaps one of the underground Christians. This is not something from 100, 200 years ago. This is currently going on. And this missionary goes there, and his purpose, again, is for teaching the Bible. Obviously, he doesn't tell that to the airport customs, not the customs, the uh, officers uh, there when he crosses into the border. But he comes in, and he's to meet this group of Christians that are coming from another town, another city. So he's waiting at this apartment building. This is all arranged beforehand. These guys come, a group of 22 of them, on a 13-hour train ride from one village to the next, to the next town. And this guy's waiting for them. And as he IDs them and as he recognizes them, they have to go into this apartment unit, okay? And they have to go up this unit two by two. Because if you cram more than three, four people at a time, there's underground or secret agents, undercover is what I meant to say, undercover agents that are spying, that are watching. They're watching and wondering, where are the Christians? They're paying attention. They're hired by the government to seize them, to arrest them. So they secretly, methodically plan to go just two by two. Look like just ordinary citizens going to your apartment unit. And they timed it. Timed it every five, seven, eight minutes. Finally, they get to the unit, and there's 22 of these young men who this missionary is training to be teachers and leaders of the underground church. And as they get to the room, they sit down. And it's about a 600-square-foot room, 22 of them, plus the teacher, 23 people in this room. And he begins to teach... 13-hour train ride. And for three days, they do a Bible boot camp, so to speak, from 8 to 5, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, nine hours of looking to God's Word. This man only brought 15 Bibles. So he saw he sees 22 people. So he says, we're seven short. And he sees one man, and he gives the Bible, and he gives it to somebody who didn't have the Bible. And he says... Why are you giving your Bible? And this young man says, I've memorized the passage that we're about to study. It was the book of Peter. And he says, where did you memorize this? When I went to prison. And he says, okay, hold on a second. If I get caught, what would happen to me? They said, in 24 hours, you'd be sent back to USA, to the US. And he says, well, what would happen to you? And they said they'd arrest us and send us to prison for three to five years just for studying the Bible. And they said, you see, in prison, we don't have Bibles. But when people come in, they write scripture on paper and they sneak it in. And they read it day in, day out until the guards catch them. So we have the Bible in our hearts. And he was aghast. He was floored by this news. And, he, and at the end of the session, he says to them, when I go back to the States, tell us, I'm going to bring a prayer request back to my home church in America. Tell me what I can pray for. And they said, can you please pray for us? We hear that you people in America, you get your freedom. You get to have Bible studies every day without the police knocking on your doors, without the threats of authorities trying to interrupt services. Can you pray? 
Can you pray for us that we have that freedom? And he says, I will not pray for that. I will not pray for that. He says, see, this is why I will not pray for that request that you have. Because in America and in Canada, you guys came 13 hours to study the Bible for three days, 8 to 5. In America and Canada, if you travel 45 minutes in the comfort of your car, people won't go to services. He says, see, I won't pray for that also because you guys sat nine hours for three days straight on a floor, in a wooden floor, with no air conditioning, in the, in the dead of summer, in the heat of the summer, in America, and you sat nine hours a day. He said, America, if we don't have our padded chairs and our comfortable benches and air conditioning, and if a service goes over 35, 40 minutes, people leave. I will not pray for that prayer. I will not pray what you want me to pray for. Here, you memorize scripture. You store the word of God in your heart. You've kept it in your heart. In America, on average, there are two Bibles per household among the so-called Christian community. Perhaps many of you have many translations, many different translations you work off of. You've read so many Bibles. He says, there in America, we have two per person. I will not pray that prayer. I will pray that we in America become like you. So I want to say, I want to segue that into this message because we really, if you really stop and think about it for a second, guys, isn't that true? Do we not take the Christianity and the gospel and the Bible for granted? We have it at our fingertips. The man said, I will not pray that prayer because we have two Bibles in our possession, yet nobody reads it. It collects dust. It just there as a souvenir, just there as a gift. We don't realize how beautiful, I don't realize, never mind, I'm 44 years old, I've been a Christian for 25 years, I too take it for granted, I too am guilty of this, I'm not going to pretend that I'm exempt from this, I too need to remind myself that I have the sacred Bible, I have the word of God, I need to hide it in my heart, I need to treasure it, and you too, all of you, at a young age, so if I can ask you again for the next few minute moments that we can just really focus our attention to the words of Jesus, not my words, I'm just a messenger. Tim's just a messenger. Any brother that steps on the pulpit or teaches whatever, to whatever capacity, we're just messengers. And we're just farmers sowing seeds. And our prayer is that that seed would land on the heart that God has prepared. And you'll know it lands when it bears that fruit. With that in mind, let's turn to Luke chapter 9. In your Bibles, I'd like to read... Six verses. Luke chapter 9, verse 57 to 62. In my Bible, there's a subheading. It says, the test of discipleship. It's a very simple story. It's a story that perhaps many of you have read. But it, it really... Um, reflects the heart and the intention of the heart of a true follower of Christ. This account here that we're going to read represents three types of would-be followers. These are would-be followers, potential followers of Christ, potential followers of Jesus, 
we'll see if their intent was right or if it was true or if they followed through with their intent. And I think these three would-be followers are represented in this room here too. I think you could summarize three type of would-be followers here in this room. And after we go through every type of follower, you've got to search your own heart to find out what type of follower are you. Which type of follower represents you best? And how can we take a course correction to set our minds, our affections, and fully commit to following Christ? Verse 57 to 62. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow you, I'll follow thee whithsoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes. Listen to Jesus' answer. He has a genuine request. Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus says, Really? Foxes have holes. And birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath not where, nowhere to lay his head. Let's stop there for a second. Here's the first follower. Here's the first would-be follower. Jesus' fame spread throughout. Again, if I can ask you guys, if you're not on your phone for Bible purposes, so be it. But try not to be distracted with anything else. Here's the first would-be follower. Jesus' fame spread throughout the region. He, com- he performed many miracles. He raised the dead. What other miracles did Jesus do? What kind of other miracles? Just throw them out there. Throw them out there. What other miracles? Heal the blind men. Turn water into wine. Raising Lazarus. Rose again. That's the ultimate miracle. Walked on water. Calm the sea. Help the lame. Fed the 5,000. Walk on walk. This can go on and on and on. Endless. I appreciate it. You guys are on your A game. Awesome. There are so, his fame. Could you imagine? You just do one miracle. Could you imagine in this real life? If someone did one miracle, how much, how much, how, how much popularity you would gain? We just listed 15 of them. Jesus' fame in the three years of ministry spread quickly, rapidly. So it was no surprise that he had a bunch of people following him. A lot of people were following him. And a lot of people want to be in the inn. But Jesus now is kind of zeroing in to expose what type of follower, what type of people are really following me? Are they just following me for, for some sort of uh, a benefit, some sort of earthly gain? Well, let's see, see Jesus' response. Let's see if we can glean some things from it. And based from his response, I want to ask you guys some questions. Here's this man says, I'll follow you wherever you go. How many of us have said that? I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus' foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus' response to that follower, what is he suggesting? What is he suggesting? Remember, Jesus knows the intent of everyone's heart. Jesus knew the intent of this man's heart. This first would-be follower's heart, Jesus knew his intent. When Jesus answers his question by saying, foxes have holes, birds have nests, Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Did he answer his question? What do you think? Do you think he answered his question? And if he did, what was he saying? What was he ultimately saying to this man? Any thoughts? What was he saying to this man? Yeah. 
That's right. Jesus' ministry, how did it begin? Jesus' life, how did it begin? Where was he born? Was he born in, uh, in the best hotel? Was he born in the most comf- you know, comfortable king-sized bedroom back in those days? He was born in a stable, right? In a manger. Jesus' life from the beginning, from the cradle to the grave, so to speak, was full of suffering. He was like a, he was like a, 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 a refugee, if you will, going from town to town, city to city. He says, foxes have holes. Even, even the common animals of that day, the foxes and the birds, they have a place to stay. He was comparing himself with, with just the nature itself. They have, they have a beautiful nest, and they hang out, they chill out in the nest, and the foxes have their little holes, their dens. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What was he trying to tell this follower? It doesn't say what happened to this follower. It doesn't say. But we can imagine that probably like the rich man who says, good master, what must they do to gain eternal life? And he says, uh, you know, Jesus says, keep all the commandments. You know them all. And he names them off, fires them off, until he gets to the last one. He says, sell everything you have and give to the poor. What did that man do? Anybody remember what he did? He ran home, turned around, sad. Why was he sad? He couldn't give up his money. He loved his money more than wanting to be saved. He loved his money more than wanting to follow Jesus. He didn't want to risk that. He wanted to hide that in the bank. But everything else I got, I haven't committed adultery, I haven't done this, this, this. Just don't touch my money. Right? But what did Jesus say? Where the heart is, there your treasure will be. So what Jesus was saying, and maybe this might not resonate with you, but maybe it will in this sense. Maybe some of you have this ulterior motive or have this thought. Remember, this is the, the American gospel has been completely diluted and watered down. Anybody heard of the term health, wealth, prosperity gospel? Some of you have heard of that? It's this watered down gospel that if you believe this, if you accept Jesus, you know, you're going you're to have all the riches. You're going to have the best car. You're going to have the best house. Jesus, Jesus wants the best, your best life now. Jesus wants the best for you. And if, you, and if you're poor, then it's, it's almost like a curse. It's viewed as, a, as, 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 as not a blessing from God. That's the garbage. That's the gospel, the watered-down gospels that's, that's penetrating, permeating the minds of young people. But Jesus says here, the Son of Man has no place. I look like an ordinary poor man. What Jesus is saying here to the would-be follower and to you, any of you here, who says, I will follow Jesus, but on this condition, that you know what, that I'm successful. Maybe I want to follow Jesus for the perks and the benefits. Maybe I want that happy life. Maybe I want all the riches and the blessings and whatever. Maybe I want that nice car. Maybe I want those nice rims. Whatever it is. Maybe underlying deep in our hearts. And maybe it might not resonate with you. But I think what Jesus, at the very least, did, he's exposed the heart of this would-be follower. Jesus doesn't say to him, no, you can't. Jesus doesn't say, no, you can't follow me. He simply answers his question with this scenario. Let's look to this next would-be follower. Then now, 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 now it's a different type of follower. Jesus now says, and he says to another, follow me. Follow me. But he said, Lord, allow me first to go bury my father. Here's, this, here's another would-be follower that comes up with another excuse. The first follower wanted the riches. Perhaps the first follower wanted security. Maybe by sticking, hanging close to Jesus, they thought they wouldn't be oppressed by the Romans, whatever the case is. And so he wanted the security and comforts of life. The second would-be follower says, Jesus says to him, you follow me. He gets invited. 
What a beautiful honor. I mean, the master, the rabbi, inviting you to be his follower. I mean, remember what Jesus did to his disciples? Everyone that followed him, what'd they do when they were called? Matthew, Mark, Luke, or all, all the other disciples. What did they do when, when Jesus called them? The fishermen, Peter and John. What did they do in an instant? They left their nets and they followed him immediately. But here, this man gets invited. He says, follow me. But this man says, let me first bury the dead. This is a little tricky one. This might be a little tricky one. I don't know if you've ever read this. Let me first bury my dead. I want to explain to you what that means in this context. Because it's important. And then we will expand and expound of what that could mean to us. Let me first bury my father. It was actually a reasonable cause. It was actually a reasonable excuse, if you will. It was reasonable to say, let me first bury my father. You know what, Jesus... Thank you for the invitation, but my father's not doing so well. He's actually on death's door. Or maybe he was not, maybe, maybe it might even take a little longer. I got to hang out with him. I got to be by his bedside. So it's a noble excuse, noble reason. Would you not say? I mean, who would miss their father's funeral? But was that really the intention of his heart? Because what's interesting, if you probe a little deeper... The reason why the son want to stay behind to bury his father is what? I'd be, really, I'd be really impressed if one of you would know. Why do you think was the real motive of why he want to stay with his father to see his father die? Go ahead. Inheritance. Inheritance. Very good. Inheritance. This was huge Jewish practice and custom. And maybe, more, maybe I underestimated you guys. Maybe you guys all knew that answer. But you know what? That's the reality. He wanted to stay with his father. He wanted to hang around with his dad because guess what? I'm going to get the money. And once I get the money, once I get the inheritance, once I get my land, once I get the parcel, once I get the car, the house, whatever it passed on to me, then Jesus will follow you. But that's not the way it works. Because Jesus called him. Jesus, you follow me. You accept the invitation right away. I want you to follow the line of thinking between this middle follower who Jesus invites and the third follower, the last follower, the would-be follower. This second follower, just to expound on what that could mean to us in our present day and age, maybe we're not literally waiting to follow Jesus for this burial type of thing, but maybe we have this mentality that we first want to accomplish things in life. Maybe there's certain things in life that we need to do before we can follow Christ Maybe we need to check some things off, you know, accomplish some things, delay a little bit before we follow God. He was torn. This third person, Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury the dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. There's a sense of urgency. When I call you, you don't hesitate. You go and preach the gospel. Go preach it immediately, without delay. Go preach the kingdom of God. And I'll tell you something. Again, you guys are young. We were all young before, and we were all felt like we're in the prime, the king of the world. We felt like, you know what, we're untouchable, invincible. But I'll tell you, to preach the gospel is the greatest thing that any one of you can do. To preach the gospel, the opportunity that I have, that we have, To preach and expound on God's word is the greatest privilege and honor one can experience. 
And it's the greatest privilege that any one of you who have converted and, 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 and are following the Lord, committed your life to the Lord, you have the greatest, greatest opportunity to experience the greatest blessing, to be given that opportunity to convey, preach the good news to your friends, to your co-workers. I mean, what an honor that is. There's a quote that I remember hearing. If a, if a commission from an earthly king... Think about this for a second. If a commission from an earthly king would be considered an honor, if any one of you were invited by the prime minister, except for the one in Canada, if any one of you were invited by a prince or a, or a king or, or, or a president, except for America, so forget that one, you get what I'm trying to say. If you were invited to speak or somebody said, you know what, they invited you personally, somebody of royalty, somebody of such importance, and they said, you, and they named you. I don't know your names. And they called you and they said, I have this task for you. I want you to do something for me. And I singled you out. Would that be an honor? Of course it would be, especially it was for the good, for the benefit of the people. To finish off the second part of the quote, quote if a, Earthly king is considered honor. Why would a calling for an eternal king be considered a sacrifice? Why would that be considered a sacrifice? Sometimes, and that's the way we view it, when Jesus calls, it's a sacrifice, it's a hindrance. I don't want to do that. I do it out of obligation. I don't want to talk to my friends about God. I don't want to talk to them about Jesus. It's a sacrifice. I, you know what? You got to must. It's because of our mentality. It's our perspective. Because we have other things filling our minds. We have other interests. We don't have time for that. That's because, again, we're lulled to sleep in our environment. You know, things change very quickly. You know how you all experienced the pandemic. When the pandemic happened, many of you probably thought, what's going on? Is this uh, is the end time stuff? I'm sure all of you were probably stopped in your tracks and thought, okay, what do I got to do? God's trying to get my attention. Many of you probably started reading Bibles, started praying, started drawing close to God. Yes or no? For sure. Some of you felt this, but then all of a sudden the restrictions are lifted. All of a sudden things go back honky-dory, back to normal, and guess what? We go back to the normal, normal process of life. We go back to the normal routine, the normal mundane, until God brings something else in our lives. Third one, and Jesus said unto him, uh, third follower, verse 61, and another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. Here's the third would-be follower. Let me first go. I will follow you, but here's now this condition. Let me first bid farewell those that are at my house. Who are we so close to in this life, in this world, that we're willing to keep and hold on to more than following Christ. What does that mean to us today? To all of us here. Lord, I'll follow you. But first, you know what? Let me say to my friends, explain to my friends what's going to happen to me once I become a Christian. Lord, let me follow you. But first, let me grab, you know, let me, let me, let me, let me graduate. Let me get a degree. Lord, I'll follow you. But let me first get married. Lord, I'll follow you. But let me turn 17. I have a question to ask you guys. I want to raise your hands and be honest. How many of you here have a desire one day to become a Christian? How many of you have a desire? A genuine desire. Those of you who haven't surrendered your life to the Lord. That's a, that's a great big number of you. You see, 
You have a desire one day to give Christ, but not now. You know why? Because of these three hindrances. You also have excuse. You also have a reason. You also have ties and connections to people, to work, to, to whatever, whatever, whatever school, whatever it is, whatever earthly ambitions you have. You're no different than these would-be followers. None of you. Those of you who have a desire one day. That's not how it works. You don't plan out your, you know, in this world and in this life, you have a five-year plan. I want to do this, 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 this. Okay, you fulfill that five-year plan. That's the way the world system works. Right? They don't factor in the variables. They don't factor in for things that can interrupt, seriously interrupt that plan. But with God, that's not the way it works. You don't have a five-year plan with God. You don't say, you know what, I, I want to first do this, and then I want to do this, and I, whatever. I'm, you, you, guys, you guys fill in the blanks. I, then I want to do this. And then when I accomplish this, then I want to follow Jesus. That's, that's not the way it works. There's so many things that can happen in between there. You know whose tactic that is to do? To follow that sort of model, that sort of method? Whose tactic is it? The devil, Satan's tactic. He wants the delay. He wants the delay. Jesus says in verse 62, And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. No man footing, putting his hand on the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. How many of you have cut your grass, or if you do cut the grass? Okay, a lot of you guys cut the grass. How does it look when you're cutting the grass and you're looking backwards? Do you ever cut the grass looking backwards? No, eh? Why not? You can't see. You'll mess up. So what is Jesus saying? No man putting forth his hand on the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. Can you guys think of somebody who looked back when they were trying to leave? God said, warn the people, leave, leave this, leave this town, leave the city, it's going to be destroyed, leave. And, and for a second, they, you know, what they do? They look back. Who was it? Lot's wife. What happened to her? She didn't fare so well, did she? Pillar of salt. Very good. You can't, you can't have a divided heart, Jesus is saying. You can't have one foot in the door and one foot out. You can't play church on Sunday. You can't play church on Sunday. You can fool the people. You can fool mom and dad and brother and sister and your ministers and others. You can even be counseling. You can even be going through all the routine. But behind the scenes, you have a divided heart. Behind the scenes, you have one foot in the world, as they say. Behind the scenes, you have your hookups, your hangouts, your buddies, your boyfriends, your girlfriends. But then come Sunday, it's church time. It's costume time. God sees right through that. You guys aren't here to, to please me or your parents or any one of us. God sees your heart. You don't, want to, you, don't, you don't care? You don't want to listen? You don't want to pay attention? to that. You'll be standing before God in the Day of Judgment. You'll be standing in the God Day of Judgment when you guys sang all those beautiful words, all those songs that you guys sung, if you guys really believed it, I think all of our lives would be different. But God will hold all of you and all of us accountable when we sing these songs. Blare it from our hearts. Sing it. Yet it has no meaning to our hearts because we're holding on to things in this life. And God will hold you accountable and say, yeah, there's no excuse. You know what you said. You know what you, you, know what you did. You know those songs that you sung. You know the message that you heard Sunday in and Sunday out. I mean, do you know how piercing and convicting that is, is going to be in your heart on that day? 
Jesus says, no man putting forth his hand in the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. You look forward. You look straight. You commit. You commit your whole heart entirely. When today, if you feel the weight of sin as we heard about the other night, you don't just, you know, we're a camp and, and many times, you know, emotions run high at camp, don't they? There's maybe this, and I, I feel kind of a little bit, I, I really mean it when I say it. I kind of feel a little bit bad for you guys. Because there's this pressure maybe Monday, Tuesday, and there's buildup. You know, like this pressure. Maybe, should I stay behind? Should I not? Should I counsel? Are people watching me? Or are my parents going to be upset? Am I doing it for my friends? I feel sorry for you guys. Don't be, don't be in turmoil. Meaning, if you do feel that call of God, you feel that weight of sin, the reality of the conviction. What is the call of God? The call of God is, first and foremost, the understanding of your sinfulness before holy God, as we heard Tim mention a few days ago. And God is committed to that. He will carry that out one day, if he hasn't already. He gives a sneak preview of how, how, he, how, he, how, he, how he displays justice in our lives through incidents, through, through sort of like little wake-up calls, little wake-up calls, little accidents, uh, uh, little setbacks, little this, little that in life. Those are just little wake-up calls. But that's God's way of being gracious, merciful to all of you, to all of us. Because he doesn't desire that anybody should perish, but all that should come rep- Repentance. So I don't want to tap into your emotions just to rile you up and be inspired for the moment. Or I hope and pray that camp wasn't just one of those things that you just got inspired this week and, and all of a sudden just through an emotional sort of charge, you're like, I'll stay behind. And, and, and then all of a sudden, a week after camp, you just kind of just completely deflate. Does anybody identify with that sort of experience? How many of you have experienced that? They sat back year after year maybe. Year after year, you, you just sit in camp. You give your life to the Lord three, four, five times. And all of a sudden, camp's done. You go back to your daily routines. Again, I'm not saying that God can't tap in and work through our emotions. But what I am saying, based on Scripture, is that if you feel that weight of sin, if you feel God tugging at your heart, and there's the burden, you know, the pilgrim's progress it begins with Christian bearing this backpack with a heavy weight and he begins his journey to pursuing righteousness when he leaves that backpack at the foot of the cross. If you recognize that, if you feel that, and you know that, and you're convicted by it, why bear it anymore? Jesus, come unto me, all you that are heavy, laden, burned with sin, and I will give you, finish it off, give you what? Rest. That sounds so soothing, sounds so sweet, sounds so nice. I want rest. I don't want to carry this thing anymore. I don't want to try so. I don't want to trudge in life and just continue to try to please God through my own works, through my own merit. Try to trick him into thinking that I'm saved. Try to trick my parents. I don't want to go through this anymore. I don't want to put such a burden that I cannot bear. I just need to leave it at the foot of the cross. Maybe some of you cannot commit because they're worried that they cannot carry, follow through with this commitment. Maybe somebody, some people feel that I I can't, if I make a commitment, maybe I, I, I won't make it to the end. Maybe that's a fear they have. But God promises you, gives you this promise, the assurance of salvation. He says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is the Lord who wills, both wills and works, his good pleasure in you. It's God keeping you, guiding you, upholding you with his right hand. So maybe that's one of the hindrances. Maybe that's the setback of why you can't fully commit. 
Maybe you feel like you can't make it to the end. Maybe you, or maybe you don't feel you're that much of a sinner to, in the first place, in, to, in the beginning, you know, to, to, you don't feel that you can, the need to leave that burden at the cross because you think you're not that bad after all. But after hearing Tim, Tim's sermon, I mean, how did you not feel the gravity and the weight of that sin? The Bible says, the soul that sins, it shall surely die. It shall surely die. God told Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the moment you sin, you will die. How long did Adam live after that? Trivia question, how long? How many years do you think Adam lived after that? He died, spiritual death was implemented, but he was lived another what, six, seven hundred years? I don't even know the answer. He lived hundreds of years, a lot longer than me. Did God not keep his promise? No, because spiritually death was implemented and put into effect. And so was physical death, eventually. But God didn't also strike him down in the moment. It's because God showed in the Garden of Eden his long-suffering, his love, his grace and mercy. And the only reason why all of you and me were alive and breathing and have oxygen in our lungs, sitting in our chairs in the comforts of our padded chairs, is because God is love. And we've become spoiled and we take advantage and we take for granted God's grace and love. I was walking with my daughter, Emma, several years ago to the park. And she always has these interesting thoughts in her mind. And at three years old, she says, Tata, you guys know what Tata means. Universal word. She says, Tata, why did Jesus die for me? Why did Jesus die for me? Out of the mouth of babes. Even she understood. Perhaps, maybe not. His love. I don't even deserve that. We don't ask those questions, why did Jesus die? We want more. We go to him, we're unbelievers, we're not saved. But guess what? Mom and dad, brother, sister get sick. Who do we go to? God. Does God owe that to us? Of course not. You're not even in a relationship with him. But he's gracious and faithful to answer your prayers. I want us to recognize the gravity and the weight of sin. I'm going to wrap up in a couple minutes. I want to contrast these three would-be followers with a true disciple of Christ. Maybe there's someone here who are true followers of Christ, fully committed to the Lord. You know what that person looks like? In Mark chapter 8, when Jesus says, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life will lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospel's sake, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? A true follower of Christ counts the cost. It's a heavy weight. It's a burden. I must say, I've been a Christian for 25 years. It's not easy. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that it's a path of roses. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that once you commit your life to the Lord and the other side of the cross that you're redeemed, that all of a sudden, again, it's honky-dory. We heard the trials we went, people go through. We heard Brother Sasha Nechko's testimony yesterday when he was on death's door and God saved him in the last hour. We know there are trials in this life. There no, we know there's difficulties, there's sicknesses, and there's struggles. But again, we go back to the promises of his word that pertains to us. And we need to believe that and trust that. You must die daily. You must take up your cross and follow him. What does the cross entail? Suffering. We must suffer a little bit as Christians. Those of you who are committed here, those of you who are Christians, my encouragement to you is that, that you would suffer a little bit, that I would suffer. 
That I would die daily. That I would suffer and feel that agonizing pain of, of resisting temptation. Of fleeing from temptation. And that, that, that's a suffering. Because the flesh wants it so badly. But because I'm a Christian, because I'm saved, because eternity is worth way more than a temporal pleasure, I'll suffer a little bit. I'll suffer a little bit. Because I want to be faithful to God and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. We were at a funeral several months ago from my cousin Steve. And the the brother that had the message there spoke to an audience and was at a funeral. And funerals, for many of you who have been at a funeral, know that that's a time of reflection. At a funeral, when a preacher preaches at a funeral, the, the message doesn't pertain to the one in the coffin. He, he or she's dead. They're gone to be with the Lord if they're believers. At a funeral, the message is to the living. And he said this, and I remember this. He quoted Psalm 90 where it says, Teach me, Lord, to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom. That does not resonate with any of you. You guys are 13, 16. Who's thinking of number my days? No, but I'm 44. I, 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 I fear death. That's one of my struggles. That's one of my anxieties. That's why I need to go back to the Lord. Nobody thinks about numbering their days. That's so morbid. But you gain a heart of wisdom because... When you number your days, you gain a heart of wisdom by knowing this, that any given moment, I close my eyes and I wake up and I'm before the mighty judge. And one man said, I will not surrender my life until five minutes before I die. And the preacher says to him, really? You're not going to surrender your life to the Lord before, until five minutes before you die? And he says, you tell me, sir, when is five minutes before you die? When is five minutes before you die? Nobody knows. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What will it profit all of you, my friends? What will it profit all of you if you gain all the worldly status, all the accolades in life, all the best friends, all the likes, all the followers, all the whatever you want to call it, all the fame, fortune, and wealth, only to hear the words at the end, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, into everlasting fire. It says, what shall a man give in exchange for a soul? What are you going to do with God on the day of judgment? What are you going to bargain with God? I want to share this last story in closing. I worked for a builder in Toronto, and he shared this story with me. He knows, he's very friends, he's friends with a very wealthy man in, our, in, the, in Toronto area. And he, at 35 years old, was diagnosed with a serious illness, with cancer, lung cancer. And he tried, because of his connections and his status and his money and his wealth, he tried all the top doctors, all the top physicians. And nothing worked, to no avail. One of the richest families, actually, in Canada. So he flies to Boston. And he seeks out the best hospital, the best physicians, the best oncologists, the best of the best. And he's coming to his wit's end. He has, there's the end of all, end of the rope, so to speak. Everything has, all the medical uh, uh, therapy has been exhausted. And he has scheduled meeting with the oncologist. And so what he does is, he withdraws $250,000 in brick money cash. True story. Puts in a briefcase, and he has a meeting with this doctor. 
sits in his office. Doctor tells him the bad news. This man takes the cash, puts it on the table, and he says, please save me. Doctor, do something. Doctor opens up the bag, sees this cash. What is he going to do? What is he going to say? Please, I have young kids. Please save my life. And he says, I'm sorry, sir. Money can't buy your health back. Money can't get your health back. He ended up dying about eight months after that. And I told, quoted this verse to this builder. I said, see, money can't buy everything. Money can't buy happiness. And money sure can't buy you your way into heaven. What shall a man give in exchange for a soul? What are all of you? What am I wagering with God? What am I bargaining with? What am I tinkling with in this life? What am I willing to risk? What am I willing to risk in order to be a follower of Christ? Am I going to stand before God and say, well, let's bargain here a little bit, God. I remember I went to church. Remember I went to Sunday school. Remember I did this. Remember I did that. Is that how it works? No. God says, no, no, no. Let me tell you how it works. Do you remember when you went to church? Do you remember when you heard the words of the preacher? Do you remember when you sung those songs? May it be according to your own life and your own confession. That's why every mouth will be stopped in the day of judgment. My prayer is for all of you. And uh, I don't know where, again where you're at in your life. But I pray that if God is convicting, calling your heart, that you would talk to somebody. There's no shame in talking. Don't let pride get in the way. Don't let pride get in the way. Don't let pride get in the way. Talk to somebody. Have a word with somebody. Just share. Talk to somebody that you're comfortable with. And just be real. That's where, the, that's where it begins. Just start having a conversation. But God promises in his word that if you, hear, if you hear his voice today, harden not your heart. Seek him while he may be found. That's my prayer for all of you. And I pray that God would bless all of you in all your lives and that, again, that you would fully commit your ways onto him and experience his love, grace, and mercy and conversion. Amen.